Good morning, everyone. Hello. Good morning. There we go. Well, before we begin this morning, I wanted to share some news with all of you. I know we've spent a long time praying for Tom and Kathy Harrison. Tom um, had cancer and was going through many treatments. Um, Tom did pass away last week, and um, our thoughts and our prayers are with he and his family. Tom was a long-time member here at North River, part of the team that really got this church started, and um, just an invaluable, invaluable person. So we're happy we know where he is and that he's rejoicing in heaven today, but our thoughts and prayers are certainly with his family, with Kathy and the girls. There will be services uh, this coming week that I want to let you know about. There's visiting hours on Friday the 3rd from 3 to 5, and then from 6 to 8, we are expecting a large number of people. And then the service will take place on Saturday at 10 a.m. for those of you who would like to attend. Will you take a moment and pray with me this morning? Gracious Heavenly Father, this has been a bit of a heavy week. We lost our good, dear friend Tom. There was a horrible, horrible, heinous shooting in Maine with high loss of life. Many families affected. Lots of fear. God, there's a war going on on the other side of the world. Lord, we lift these things up to you. We just pray in these moments that we would remember that you, God, you are still in control. Even when things feel heavy. And we pray, God, that you would surround and envelop the Harrison family that you would surround and bring peace somehow to the families of this terrible tragedy in Maine. We pray that you would give them brothers and sisters there who could lift them up and support them as they go through and grieve this great loss. And Father, would you bring peace to conflict here in this world? We pray that your kingdom would come as you have promised, that you would bring an end to war and to suffering. Father, for those in our congregation who are going through difficulty and trial, Lord, we pray for healing for Jean, and for, we pray that you'd bring peace and comfort to Ginny, and we pray, God, that you would be with those whose, whose grievances remain unnamed, that they carry around inside of them. And God, would you bring peace and comfort? And Lord, would you remind us to celebrate you? Yesterday was a beautiful day. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the many people who were here celebrating Trunk or Treat. We thank you that they got to see a little bit of love from this congregation, Lord. And we pray that they were blessed. And we pray that in those moments they would remember this church and that they would remember you. And that, Lord, you would cause something to be stirred inside of them. That maybe they would want to come and experience your presence. God, we lift this service and this week up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are continuing on in our series about grace. And today, there are a couple of stories that I want to share with you. These stories both come from Acts 16, and I'm going to take you through them 
The first is the story of Lydia. And I love Lydia because she is just an absolute force to be reckoned with. So we're going to read together Acts 16, 11 through 15. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Lydia is someone that I admire. The Bible doesn't mention a a male figure in this story at all. So we have to assume either she never married or she was divorced or her father was no longer in the picture. And here was this woman in biblical times when women didn't really do this, who essentially ran her own business. The thing about purple cloth is what you don't know. They give us a little hint here when it says expensive purple cloth. This type of cloth was was only for the wealthy. So she was dealing with all of the upper and ups of society. And she herself would have been a very wealthy woman who would have managed not just this business, but a very extensive household. And somehow this woman, Lydia, found the God of the Jews. Now, one thing I want to point out, there was no synagogue in Philippi. There was just a group of of people, we're told, who met by a river outside of the city to worship God, which means that there weren't enough men to start a synagogue. You needed a minimum of 10 men in order to start a synagogue. So really, learning about this God was a very new thing in Philippi. There weren't a lot of people who were going after the God of the Jews. So God changes her heart. And she just can't contain it. She has to immediately, we're told, immediately share all of this news with her entire household. She shares what she has learned with her whole household. So this would have included servants. It would have included potentially children. It would have included business people in her home. And she did this without hesitation. It was like God changed her heart and you need to know. And not only did God change her heart, but it wove its way into her entire house. And it tells us that the whole household was baptized. She didn't wait to make plans. She didn't wait for the right time to tell them. She was changed by the Lord, and she went and she shared that with her household. Jesus had impacted her in a very real way, and she was going to serve him by sharing with others. The second person I want to share with you about is the Philippian jailer. So we're going to continue on and read Acts 16, 22 through 34. 
The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. There's so much that we can learn from Lydia and this jailer. There's so much that's in common in these two stories, and I don't think it's by accident that that they take place so closely together. Here's the first thing that we can learn. After experiencing the love and forgiveness of Jesus... Lydia and the jailer could not help but share this experience with their entire household. They experience the love of Jesus and they cannot help but share that experience with their whole household. The God of the Jews, this Jesus, this Messiah was so compelling, was so life-changing, was so different than what they had been experiencing that they needed to share this immediately, right away, without hesitation. Church, that is the grace of God. It is compelling. It is life-changing. It has the ability to uproot us and make us want to share everything that has changed. All of the joy, all of the healing, the freedom and salvation. If you consider yourself a Christ follower, I want you to go back in your minds for a moment to the time when you first believed, to the time when your faith became your own. How did that feel? Was there joy and freedom in that moment? Was there excitement? I suspect that for many of you there was. There there was this time of just real joy, of finding forgiveness. And finding joy. That's what the gospel does. That's what the grace of God does. It gives us hope. It gives us joy. And it gives us something to hold on to. Lydia and the jailer wanted their families to have these things. 
and what they told their families clearly impacted the whole group. So all of a sudden you have this, this small number of people in Philippi that believe in the God of the Jews, but they don't have the whole picture yet, to having two whole households who now not only believe in this God, but also believe that Jesus was the Messiah who came to make all things right. So it's easy to read a passage like this and wonder how these two could have so much influence so quickly on their entire households, right? Parents of, of teenagers, no offense, teenagers, you know I love you, but parents of teenagers, you may feel like that's a miracle, right? <laughs> Convincing your household of anything sometimes. Sometimes having these conversations, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes a change comes over us and it's so easy for the whole world to see what God has done. It's easy to see that our attitudes have changed and the way we approach our relationships have changed and the joy that we have from day to day has changed. It's obvious even in our faces. There was a person who came up to me a couple of weeks ago and attended here for the first time. And I had a follow-up conversation with this person a couple of days later, and they said, this was exactly what I needed, and it was so much what I needed that when I went home, their significant other noticed a change immediately. It was that quick. Our relationships can be such that it's easy to share, but sometimes it's difficult Sometimes it's not as easy, it feels like, as it was for Lydia and that Philippian jailer. Sometimes our relationships are strained and broken. And sometimes we live lives that are so busy and maxed out that you don't even have time for a conversation. This week alone for me, we had rowing, cross country, a school concert, doctor's appointments, an extended family crisis, getting ready for trunk or treat, and the Elevate Halloween party tonight, a special event for our exchange student, voice lessons, hosting the director of a ministry that I hope to be partnering with, preparing this sermon, a sick child, and a scout camp out. Like, I don't think I hit it all, but that gives you a pretty close picture. And I know that I'm not alone in this. <laughs> I know that each of you could stand up here and rattle off the 5,000 things that you had to do this week, or at least felt like you had to do. When in all of that busy <laughs> do we have time to share the love of Jesus, to make time to have these conversations, to show a changed person. Because let me tell you that this week, I'm not sure my family saw my Christ-likeness coming out in the best way possible. Do they even know that I am a changed person in those moments? I'm glad they're not in this room right now to answer that question. <laughs> but there was radical transformation for Lydia and that jailer, and they couldn't help but share the love of Jesus with their families. And then the second thing that they have in common is that they made their homes available right away for God to do his work. Have you ever planned an event before? I'm going to guess the answer is yes. Whether that is a birthday party or your own wedding or a backyard barbecue or a graduation party, you name it. Have you ever planned an event before? 
when you are in charge of something, you pay really close attention to those details, right? You're taking time, you're making preparations, you want everything to look just right. You want to make sure that the house is just right. And you do this because it feels like those things are a reflection of you. They're a reflection of who you are. At least that's how I feel. But Lydia and this jailer, they didn't wait for any of these details to be taken care of. They didn't clean the house first. They didn't make sure the kids had done all their chores. They didn't stress over the fact that the furniture was covered in pet hair, or in my case, laundry. They didn't wonder whether or not the food that they could offer was going to be good enough. They didn't consult all of the blogs to make sure that their charcuterie was laid out just right. And they didn't worry whether or not the rest of their household had their acts together, and were going to behave the right way. That kind of thing didn't matter because in that moment, they were changed people and they needed their families to know. They just opened their homes to Paul and Silas. Lydia, by inviting them in, and the jailer, by actually taking them out of this prison, dressing their wounds and feeding them that night. In the middle of the night. They made their homes a base for grace. And that's our big idea this morning. When we are transformed by the grace and love of Jesus, our homes become a base for grace. In his book, A Meal with Jesus, Tim Chester tells the story from Jim Peterson. It's the story of Mario, who was a friend of Jim's in South America. And Jim had been meeting with him for over four years, studying the Bible. And Mario, at this point, still didn't believe that God was real. He um, was really into Western philosophy and was a Marxist intellectual. But eventually, he comes to Jesus, and he makes that decision to follow him. And a couple of years after making that decision, Jim and Mario were reminiscing And Mario says, do you remember what it was that really made me decide to become a Christian? Peterson thought of all of their Bible studies together in philosophical discussions because there were many. But Mario's reply took him by surprise. Remember that first time I stopped by your house? We were on our way someplace together and I had a bowl of soup with you and your family. As I sat there observing you, your wife and your children, and how you related to each other, I asked myself, when will I have a relationship like this with my fiancé? When I realized that the answer was never, I concluded I had to become a Christian for the sake of my own survival. Peterson did, in fact, remember the occasion. He remembered that his children were behaving badly, (laughs) and he was very frustrated at having to correct them in front of Mario. Yet Mario saw the grace of Christ binding that family together. Church, how do we allow our homes to become a base for grace? How do we do this? I'm going to share a few suggestions with you. First, Make sharing, discussing, and modeling faith a priority in your home and family. Make sharing, discussing, and modeling faith a priority in your family. 
This is the first thing Lydia and Jailer do, right? They, they share with their families, and they made it a priority. They didn't let anything get in the way. They didn't first head out onto the streets. They didn't plan how they were going to have everyone come over and they were going to share. They didn't plan out a missionary journey. They went straight to their homes. There was no hesitation, and they shared. Sometimes we hesitate. Perhaps it's because we feel like we have really royally screwed up our marriages, or we've lived in lies, or we've been absent parents. And, and when we have all of that guilt and shame still inside of us that we're holding on to and not releasing out to God, it can be hard to feel like you have the authority to share what God is doing in your life. We feel like, who am I to say anything to these people that I've hurt and that I have wronged? But when you become a follower of Christ, you are transformed. You've been given this challenge to share that faith. It is not meant to be sat on. It is meant to be shared. You're given a new chance at life, and you are able to share because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. And God promises that that Holy Spirit is going to be with you, to walk beside you, to help you to share your story. And to continue the transformation process that begins in you when you become a follower of Jesus. But for some of you, these conversations, they're easy. They're easy. And that's great. And whichever of these you are, you're still called to have them. Parents. Now, I'm talking for a moment of parents of, of kids and of teenagers, but those of you who have adult children, please know that this still holds very, very much true as well. According to a survey done by Barna a couple of years ago, they asked a group of people, who influenced your faith over the course of your lifetime? Who was it that had some impact on your faith? Do you see that? 68% of those surveyed said that their mothers were influential in their faith development. 46 said their fathers were influential. 37% said their grandparents were influential. And it goes on. Do you see the implications of this? This is huge. Parents, you have more influence on your children than anyone else does. It doesn't matter what ministries I, I have here and I hold for your kids. They'll learn something, but you know where they're learning it the most? It is from you. It's from you. parents' time with their children, it matters. And it matters for those of you who have adult children and you're still praying for them and you're still hanging on, they're still watching you. Don't ever feel like you're not having an impact. They're still watching you. You are still an incredible influence in their lives. So we do this by modeling. We do this by... Showing our families, first and foremost, what it means to live for Jesus, which means making time, <laughs> clearing out some of that crazy. And 
happens by talking about faith. You know, I was really, I got hit upside the head yesterday as I'm preparing this sermon and I'm putting some final pieces on it and I'm, in, I'm actually reading this section and my daughter comes and she sits down next to me and everything inside of me wanted to say, Mackenzie, <laughs> I don't have time right now. But I knew that was the wrong answer. That went against everything that I'm trying to, to talk about this morning and just becoming aware that making time for these conversations about faith, and it was, it was about faith. She wanted to know what I was talking about. <laughs> talking about it, and then living it out in front of them. Again, what the church does is good, and this community is so important, and we all need it. But it it pales in comparison to you modeling this and talking about it. We also have great influence on other members of our family as well, as you saw on that slide. So what can we do to share this in our homes? Well, we model. We make faith a priority. We carve out that time for God and our church community. For those of you who were here at Trunk or Treat yesterday, that was an amazing day. There were hundreds of people here that I have never met before. And praise God for that. But for those of you who were here and you volunteered, thank you. Thank you for carving out that time to make an impact. Maybe it's uh, leading a small group or just serving regularly here on a Sunday morning. You know, you can serve once a month. And that can be so impactful to those who are watching you and your family. Talking about your changed life with them. Not just talking about your changed life with them, but here's something that feels a little counterintuitive. Talk about your doubt. It's okay to have doubt. It's okay to wrestle with doubt. It's okay to work through doubt because I think sometimes people just need to hear that they're not the only ones who have doubt. And when we present ourselves as having it all together all the time, we really do a disservice to those around us who may be struggling. It's okay to talk about your doubt. Show them what it means to serve others. In that same study, it goes on to say, that same Barna study, that within families the thing that impacted their faith the most. So you had the people who impact the faith most, but within that family, the thing that impacted their faith the most was actually watching their parents serve other people, whether that was in their home or going out together to serve in some way as a family. Incredibly impactful. And then pray for your families. So you make sharing, discussing, and modeling faith a priority in your family. The second thing is make room for God to do the unexpected in your home. Make room for God to do the unexpected in your home. Here's the thing about God doing the unexpected in your home. It's unexpected. (laughs) So you got to be willing to just roll with what God has for you. Neither Lydia or the Philippian jailer knew these days what was coming. They didn't know that they were inviting these two men into their household and there was going to be complete change in their whole households were going to be baptized on that day. They were quick to respond. Are we quick to respond? Are we there when God presents an opportunity to make our homes a base for grace? Most of you know that uh, my family and I have uh, 
been foster parents for, I don't know, 13 or 14 years. I've lost track now. It's been a long time. But I remember when we first became licensed and we were waiting for our first placement. And we had no idea when it was going to come. And we didn't know who it was going to be or how old they were. And we got the phone call. I was in the middle of a work day. It was kind of inconvenient that week. There was a million appointments. And we get the phone call. But our family was so excited and so ready that I got in the I said goodbye to work. I got in the car. I drove home. I got a speeding ticket on the way because I was so excited and a little uh, lead-footed there. You make room for the unexpected because oftentimes these opportunities are just going to arise. Can you make space in those moments for God to work? Now, foster care is not for everybody. I get that. But there are still opportunities when you ask God to open your eyes and provide those opportunities. He's going to give them to you. I promise. That is a dangerous prayer. But I challenge you to pray it. I challenge you to pray it. Make your homes a base for grace by making room for God to do the unexpected in your home. The third thing is to take bold steps in your community to show hospitality. Take bold steps in your community to show hospitality. And we just talked about making room for the unexpected, which will happen. But what about being intentional? What about actually planning to be that base for grace, to be that home that people can come to and find Jesus? Lydia's story doesn't end where we stopped reading. It doesn't end with this invitation to bring Paul and Silas in. It's believed that Lydia actually becomes, her home becomes the home base for the church in Philippi. That that is where that movement starts. And you continue on in the, in the Bible and you can read the book of Philippians which is a letter to this church that now exists. So we went from having a few people who feared God and, and prayed by a river to having a whole church that serves Jesus because of this one woman, because she opened her home and she made space and she was intentional about this. She was intentional in having Paul and Silas come to her home. She urged them and insisted, the Bible tells us. She cared for those in need. She made her space and her resources as a businesswoman available. And she used these things to further the kingdom of God. Sarah Harmeyer decided to quit her job as a charity and fundraising events organizer at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Dallas. She says she'd been the happiest the year she worked at the Red Porch Cafe, which was a restaurant run out of her own home. That was the best year of my life. There was something about gathering people, the food, being connected. She envisioned inviting neighbors to her backyard for a meal and asked her father to construct a table seating 20. Can you imagine? Using the next door website, she invited, this is bold guys, she invited 300 people to come to a dinner at her house at this table 
constructed for 20. More than 90 came. More than 90 came. I was absolutely blown away, she said. I realized that night as people kept coming down the driveway, the people just wanted to be invited. Over the next six years, she hosted more than 3,000 people. And she now runs Neighbor's Table full-time and has placed tables in 28 states with the aim of placing at least one table in all 50. She delivers the Western Red Cedar tables herself to families, businesses, and churches. And she is often there for the first meal and gets to know her customers. Most people getting our tables want to be a part of what we're doing and want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. She told an interviewer for Real Simple Magazine this, 2,000 years ago, we were invited to love our neighbors. And that is for sure what drives me. The world is a little crazy right now and we could use more love in our interactions. A lot of people need to feel included and seen. And it's hard My neighbors are not all like me, but there are ways we can connect. The table is a beautiful, natural place to do that. And when you're sitting at a big table, you feel like you're part of something. I'm not asking you all to buy a 20-foot table, though I'm thinking about it. But how do we as Christians intentionally open up our homes and our lives for that kind of transformation, for God's grace to flow from our our offering? How do our households become this base for grace? Some of you may be feeling overwhelmed by that idea. And I'm not saying hosting dinner parties is the way to go. We're going to talk about some practical ways to do that. And I know some of you are thinking, but I don't even know how to share my story. Like, I'm not going to talk to people about Jesus. That's like invite strangers in and talk about Jesus. That's weird. Well, yeah, maybe at first it is. <laughs> See, active gathering community and showing hospitality that begins to open up those conversations. Here's the thing. It's not our job. It's not our job to convert people. Okay, I know that doesn't make sense. It's not our job to convert people. But if you go back to Lydia's story for a moment, in verse 14, it says that she was listening. She's listening to Paul and Silas. And the Lord opened her heart. So if you're feeling overwhelmed because you're like, I don't know how I'm going to share. And I don't know, you know, I don't know how to talk to people about this. Guess what? It's not, it's not your job. <laughs> your job is to just show up to what God is asking you to do. It's his job to change hearts. So let me suggest this. Settle some of the busy in your life. I struggle with that every day. (laughs) Try to settle some of the busy in your life. Carve out some time to be intentional in the way that we use our homes, our resources, how we talk to our families. For those of you who want to learn how to share your story or how to talk to people, let me suggest taking 401, the class that we just talked about earlier during announcements. This is all about how to do that, how to become more comfortable, how, how to be natural in those conversations. Because this is for everyone. This is for everyone. We are all called to be a base for grace when we choose to follow Jesus. We are all called for that.
We are transformed by the grace and love of Jesus. When we are transformed by the grace and love of Jesus, our homes become a base for grace. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the resources you've given to us. God, help us to help us to seek you out. Help us to know that no matter what we have, you can use it. You can use the gifts that have been given to us and that you can speak through us and that it's your job to change hearts. And so we pray that you would open our eyes to the opportunities that you've put before us, that you would help us to speak into our families, to help us to model your love and transforming power to our families and help us to show great hospitality to those around us. Let this community know that if North River were to no longer exist anymore, let them notice, let them be impacted, Lord. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.